Hello, and welcome to the Craft Brewed Music Podcast, music interviews for serious listeners. You may have heard of our curated music discovery app. The podcast lets us dig deeper and get to know the creators of that music, as well as others that will broaden your horizons. I'm Brian Horner, founder and curator of Craft Brewed Music, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host Aaron Stamen, a Craft Brewed Music artist. We've got a very special return guest with us uh, this episode. He was in one of our very early episodes, episode four, guitarist Richard Bennett. At the end of our conversation, he was talking about some songs that he'd been uh, filing away for years and had just started to record and, and was you know, headed in the not-so-distant future toward a new album. You know, over the 20 or so years that I've, I've been writing for you know, my albums, I guess. Um, you know, every once in a while, there'd be a little kind of a folky kind of melody turn up. And, uh, you know, I'd go ahead and finish it off, and but they never quite seemed to fit into the other albums. And I ended up with a folder that actually marked folk <laughs> on. And, you know, I'd finish the tune, I'd write them out on manuscript, and, and I'd, I'd throw it in that folder. And as I was finishing up the Ballads and Otherness record, uh, a couple more just sort of delivered themselves onto my doorstep and uh, in my mind's doorstep. And uh, fairly quickly, I, just, I wrote them and I wrote them out, went to the folk folder and threw them in there. And I was surprised how many uh, tunes had accumulated in there over the 20 years. And I'd been thinking for a little while, I really would like to do, make some kind of a different album. And I had no idea what that was going to look like. And there it was all sitting right in front of me. Um, it was already written. And that album now is out in the world. Richard Bennett plays new folk faves and tall tale tunes. In the liner notes, Marty Stewart calls Richard Bennett, the king of adventurously phrased sweeping cinematic guitar epics. I can't do any better than that for an introduction. Uh, Richard, really great to have you back. Uh, it's good to be back, Brian and Aaron. I'm happy to be Welcome here. Welcome back. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks we very love much. the uh, new record. We've been having a lot of a lot of fun exploring it, and uh, you know we're we're hoping we could uh, get a tour from you. Have have you show us around? Yeah. Thank you. Um, those liner notes made me blush when they came in. <laughs> <laughs> He's an enthusiastic fan. Uh, <laughs> they really did. Uh, I, you know, I'd asked Marty and he, he very kindly gushed on, uh, uh, especially when it got to the Sir Richard Bennett parts. I kind of <laughs> cut, a couple of, cut a couple of those out. But uh, Is that an official, are you officially a knight? Does he have uh, no. that authority? <laughs> I'm officially nothing. Um, but anyway, there you go. Uh, thanks. I'm flattered that you like the album. And uh, it was a long time coming. When did we do our interview, our, our number four? It would have been about two years ago. We're just about, we're coming up on two years old. Right. And uh, and you were talking about, you know, that you had some of these tunes, uh, you know, come out of your out of your hands and... and uh, kind of all falling into a certain vein and you that, that didn't maybe fit with groups of songs you were working on along the way. So you set them aside and discovered that you had a, a, uh, 
a, uh, what's the word, a, a critical mass after a while. Yeah. Well, that's the interview. Thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, that's exactly what happened. But it, it was sort of a long, uh, a long birthing. I'd, I'd actually begun recording in um, uh, the autumn of, of 2018 and uh, did did four tunes very quickly. And I kind of put those out as a little EP, just digitally. I just kind of wanted to test the water a little bit on a couple of fronts. One, to see how the tunes kind of were received, but also to uh, just test the water about releasing something digitally uh, only, Mm -hmm. which uh, I was never prone to do, and I'm still not prone to do. But anyway, uh, it, it was available for a little while. And then I went off and did a, a, a 2019 uh, tour with Mark Knopfler that consumed most of the year. Uh, and then I came back uh, to it and really put my shoulder to the wheel uh, with recording. And, uh, and also I'd written some more uh, tunes over the course of that tour with, with Mark. And uh, the intention was to get it out uh, in the spring of 2020. And, uh, we all know what happened in the spring of 2020. And I was one tune short. I just, I had the tune, but I just couldn't get in under the wire to record it. And mm. I was, I was adamant that that tune be part of the record. So we all kind of retreated into our homes and, uh, the project sat for about 16 months or something like that. Hmm. And, uh, before I could get back to it, which tune was that? Uh, it, the last tune we recorded was the Ballad of Johnny Trem. Mm-hmm. Jo- Johnny Trem. And um, so anyway, I finally got it recorded. And then there was some uh, business changes in uh, the label in Modern Shellac uh, for the better. Uh, and that kind of held the release off for about, oh, I don't know, another nine months anyway. So it's, it was kind of a four-year birthing, really, of hmm. this. But, uh, but, but then you again, you're, t- you're taking tunes that it sounds like may have been as, as much as a couple decades old from this, your, your, your folk folder yeah. that uh, you'd been amassing over all this time. So I guess four years is kind of a, uh, um, you know, in, in keeping with the, uh, uh, how this, uh, this, uh, this uh, fermentation was, uh, was being done. Yeah, that's right. There's no real sell-by date with my stuff. It, it, it's dated when it's written, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, a couple, uh, a couple of these tunes are, one goes back to the early 90s. Uh, what is it? Uh, the Harvest Home goes back to the very early 90s. I remember playing it for Mark Knopfler uh, on the first batch of recording sessions I did with him, and that was in 94. And so that's the oldest tune. That's the first tune written for this album? Yeah. Yeah.
one goes back about 20 years. And, uh, you know, like you said, it's, I, it, I just tucked them away. They didn't seem to fit into, uh, whatever else it was I was working on at the moment, but I liked them well enough to keep them, you know, not to throw them out. And, yeah. uh, I don't know, toward the end of, uh, the last album I did, uh, which was Mallets and Otherness, um, a couple of these kind of folksy sounding tunes kind of tumbled out of the guitar very quickly mm -hmm. within a week. And I sort of write up, wrote them out on manuscript and, uh, threw them into the folk folder as I called it. And, uh, yeah. that and I was surprised how many tunes had, had amassed in there over the years. And I started, I began playing through them and was, you know, nicely surprised that, uh, as many of them did hold water for me, uh, as, as compositions, not all, not only hold, not only holding water, but you felt there was a cohesion. Yes, absolutely. Uh, to all of them that they belong together in a way. Yeah. No question about it. Um, uh, so there it was. And I'd been, I'd been thinking about doing something different, uh, for the next album, but had mm -hmm. no idea what that might be or if I was capable of doing anything different. Uh, and there it all was. It was kind of laid out in front of me. And once I, once I got that, once I saw that was there, uh, then I was able to begin writing some more and, and focusing it uh, specifically into that folk folder. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, a couple more tunes came, came out, and uh, that was it. That was it. It's the kind of thing I don't know that... Uh, I don't know that it's obvious that it's a folk album. Um, I suppose we all have our preordained ideas about what stylistic things are and, and what folk music might be. Uh, but I, I call it a folk album because if you strip away uh, all of it, the production and however I chose to treat these things, uh, they're very simple melodies. And, uh, you know, you could, you could get them down to three chords or four chords. And, mm -hmm. uh, I hear them as, as, as folk melodies. Yeah. Listening back to, to our, our interview, uh, way back when you'd, you'd, um, described it as a folk album because of the, uh, the, the simple straightforward melodies. And, uh, we had, uh, we had played uh, across this lusty land as a uh, as a track on the uh, the interview at that time. Oh, and, that's uh, right. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that certainly gave gave the uh, um, you know the kernel of the idea about it. But now that I've had a chance to listen to all twelve tracks on the album and and spend some time with it, I, it's definitely hitting my ear in that way as well. That there's there's an economy to the uh, the melodies, a simplicity to them, but there's also this uh, sense of familiarity. Like when I hear secrets of June, I pause and I think to myself, where do I know this from? And it's not because I've heard it before. It's because it's, it's drawing from some kind of, you know, collective cultural consciousness that I, as a, as an American with my sensibilities, uh, immediately find accessible. Right. Thank you. 
of those melodies has that thing where I'm like, oh, this this feels this feels like home. Wow. This melody. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's a huge compliment. Um, I don't know where they come from. They they just sort of appear, you know. Um, <clears throat> I guess they're all floating out there, and if you have your antenna up, you can catch one once in a while. Um, but, and uh, so we we talked about the you know how why we why you're calling them a folk tune. What is the tall tales part? Tall, tall tale tunes. Where does that come from? Well, I don't know. You know. Um, it sounded good to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's alliterative. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. Um, but I mean, that's what folk music does. Basically, they 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 tell a tale uh, in words and in, in music. And in this case, I just tried to convey some kind of a story, uh, but without um, the benefit of words. You know, um, are there stories behind each of these? A couple of them, I suppose. Um, I suppose Secrets of June has a, a slight backstory. Um, I wrote it several day, several days after June Carter died, and I was always a big fan mm. of June Carter, um, of her whole career. You know, she was a child singing on border radio with her family, and then later as a young adult, as a as a country comedian. And then, you know, followed by her role in Johnny Cash's show and his life, and then gracefully into old age where she returned um, back to her family's music, the Carter family. And uh, I just always admired her. Um, admired her. I didn't know her, and this tune has nothing to do with anything June Carter apart from um, I wrote it when you know, I was I was thinking of her, but it's really more of a of a Irish kind of a tune. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I somehow wanted to include her name in it because she she was on my mind as all. Hmm. And uh, yeah, I don't know what else. How about how uh, about the ballad of Johnny Trem? <laughs> Johnny Trem um, is a nickname that I gave to John McCusker. John McCusker is a renowned. Uh, Scottish fiddle player, and he plays beautiful whistle, uh, uh, you know, Irish whistle. And uh, he, he's highly regarded. He's a star in the in the UK folk world. Um, anyway, John has been playing with us, with Mark Knopfler, for about 10 years. And uh, lovely guy. Every once in a while, we'll need an extra hand uh, on an electric guitar, and Mark will ask John McCusker to uh, man an electric guitar, and uh, he does so admirably. And it, it usually entails just some very simple, sort of just uh, uh, marking a chord with some tremolo or something. Well, when he began doing that, I began calling him Johnny Trem, <laughs> and. After, after Johnny Trem came along, I thought, Jesus, that's a great, that'd make a great tune, you know, the ballad of Johnny Trem. What would it be? <laughs> and, and again, that has nothing to do the way it came out with any kind of Celtic music or anything. It just is what it is. But that's, <laughs> well, we, that's were trying a, to, we were trying to look it up and you know, we were 
discussing whether Johnny Trem really existed. We found Johnny Tremaine and yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny that it's such an inside reference. Yeah. We were yeah. way off. song uh, earns the uh, the uh, the avatar of twang moniker that marty stewart gives you in the line of notes oh well. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah what else acadian bells it's just kind of a, a, a cajun steel guitar thing and that mm-hmm. goes back a long way in fact that was recorded about 10 years ago hmm. and the same thing it just didn't fit into anything i was doing but i, I always liked it and uh, it certainly fit into this i thought to Debussy? Yes, it is. Yeah, very much so. In the title, it is. The uh, title it is, but also, I think structurally, it seems to, to share uh, much in common with that, that piano piece. Mm. The girl with well, the boxing hair I'm referring to. Yes, that's right. Um, that's flattering. It's I, I didn't in, intend that at all, although that is a piece that I love. Johnny Smith had a fabulous uh, guitar arrangement of uh, made, Maiden with the Flaxen Hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and I sort of was nodding to that as far as in the arrangement of it. Uh, that piece came about, um, I was playing on a soundtrack to a, a, 
yet another ill-begotten Hank Williams movie that came out uh, <laughs> five years ago or something that Rodney Crowell was uh, the musical director on. And the music was wonderful. Uh, mm. I never saw the film. It got really panned badly. But one of the cues that we did was, it was sort of a, a dream sequence cue. Uh, and Rodney wanted to use I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry, but he wanted to really alter, uh, alter it harmonically. And that fell upon me. Um, mm. to do and we got a, a nice little arrangement of it and I thought man that's so cool and I came home that night after we recorded that and I sat down and I thought god I, you know it would be great to write something like that with that simple of a melody but really um, alter it harmonically yeah and uh that's what that's what that tune is about. Girl with raven hair came out of that. There's not a lot of adventurous reharmonization on the album. It's an album that's obviously driven by by melody, but that one really, uh, really, really hit me as uh, special. The, uh, the the chord melody that yes. uh, that supports that that um, that tune is 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 really striking. Yeah, uh, thanks. Um, yeah, and. Uh, there were a couple of other nods in that title. There was a, an old Johnny Horton song that I always loved and still love, going back to his very earliest recordings called uh, Betty Lorraine. And uh, mm. he, des he describes her smile as soft as a velvet rose, her heart as gay as champagne, and her hair is as black as a raven. And it's kind of a nod to that. And also, hmm. my my wife's hair was raven when we got married, and uh, so most importantly, is that is that absolutely yes, <laughs> absolutely yeah. to ask about the gallows dawn i think brian and i both selected this as a as a uh, uh as a track a, a track on the album that we were uh infatuated with and it's uh it's this kind of hybrid creature that's somewhere between muddy waters and the <coughs> scottish piper You're right <laughs> that electric guitar uh yeah. and i don't know where that where that comes from but uh that is a uh 
that is a powerful lyric tool. Mm. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, it's a strange tune because it, it kind of skates between time signatures, 4-4 uh, four, four and 3-4 and 5-4. And uh, I, I wasn't trying to be clever when I wrote it. It just kind of fell out that way and felt very natural. And uh, I didn't really want to use a regular rhythm section on it because um, it, it, it would draw attention to the time shifting all over the place, you know. And yeah. I wanted to skate through all of those time signatures without drawing attention to it. And uh, uh, it was it was lost to me. I had I had uh, no idea that there were shifting time signatures. <laughs> it just yeah. sounded like it, that, the melody was was so dominant that I didn't yeah. think about anything else. That's good, uh, and and that's what it's supposed to be doing. And I, so I found a I found a way to accompany the thing without drawing attention to it uh, on an Irish bazooki. Uh, so that's what I went in and did first. I just laid down this this backing. This, the accompaniment, and then put the electric guitar on on top of that. And then uh, the piano came later. The piano, uh, yes, we overdubbed the piano last. Oh, okay. uh, the little pre-intro thing, right? And also the piano plays the bass part. What what the bass would normally play, I had him do in the left hand. So the bass that you hear on it is actually a left hand piano. Mm-hmm. Which kind of adds to the uh, otherness aspect of it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the, uh, the guitar tone is uh, is it, it just kills me. Well, thanks, so Les good. Paul, neck pickup. <laughs> yep, <laughs> uh, the brothers in yeah. arms sound. Yeah, well, and 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 there is sort of nods to Mark in all of that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, that that kind of that tension between uh, something in the Highlands and something in the in the Mississippi Delta. That's exactly uh, right. Is 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 what I uh, what I imagine when I uh, hear that sound. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's how Mark describes it, where the Tyne meets the Delta. Thank you. 
another moment that we uh, that that caught our ear in a big way was the uh, opening uh, timpani and kind of symphonic hit of "In Sweeter Days." Yeah, um, and then the the arrangement that followed, kind of the the, the dip to to a more stripped down sound before it builds up. Um, tell us a little bit about that one. Uh, it sort of grabbed you by the lapels thing, you know, at the, at the top. Um, that it does. Yeah. Yeah. It's trombone and, uh, timpani and piano trying to think what else. It's a guitar in that opening statement. Uh, I don't know. It's, that's all. It's, it's just, uh, Hey, look at me and, (laughs) <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> it's an arrangement that I, I came in. I knew exactly what I wanted out of the thing. And it was just a matter of of, uh, of getting it. And, you know, after after that opening announcement, um, it's uh, it seems greater than the sum of its parts, uh, that arrangement, which I like about it. You know, there's not a lot to it, but... It seems like there's more to it than there is. it's a deceptive beginning it feels like it's going to be something grandiose and immediately the scale shifts down to something very very compact yeah and just and just revoicing that same the same melody uh going from the acoustic guitar uh declaiming the melody to uh that deep throaty clean electric declaiming the melody um and that's really you know we discussed in the last interview this this mission about support the melody at all at all costs 
um, you know, with reference to your to your studio work, but uh, for other musicians, but also to your own work. And this this seems to be the ultimate, uh, you know, pinnacle of that of that ethos. I mean, mm. the first the first track of the album uh, on Darkening Green is literally a statement of melody twice. Yes. I don't even think you, you embellish it that much. And it's, it's really keeping to that mission of like these melodies are simple, they're accessible and they grab you in a certain way. And you don't need anything more than that. You don't need yeah. to dress them up too much. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, with darkening green, uh, I'd really intended that uh, not so much to be a standalone piece, uh, but as a introduction to uh, the whistling winds song that follows it. And, mm. and I was I was actually going to tighten up the uh, editing on the thing so one really flowed out of the other. But when I did that, uh, when I was mastering, I, I didn't like it as much. So I just, I, I opened up the space again between the two tunes. our last interview we talked about uh about simplicity with uh, with tone and just uh you know having the guitar go into an amp and uh you know skip all the stomp boxes and the, the processing up front mm-hmm. which i i took to heart i've been i've been playing out uh a lot uh lately 
and uh, I used to show up with a pedal board. Now I just show up with, you know, a cord and, uh, <laughs> and, a, two, and a two amp. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's, it's, it really is, it's a, it's a shift of, um, of how you think about things or where the sound comes from. And there's just so much more in the fingers when you take away all the other stuff. Yeah. And absolutely. That's, that's a, a lesson I took to heart. And I, I want to uh, thank you for leading me in the right direction. <laughs> <laughs> well, good man. I'm, I'm glad you did that. And you know, it's, uh, it's true. It's, it comes out of your hands. You've really got to pull the tone out of your hands and out of the instrument. And, uh, I don't know. I, I never was a, a big effects uh, guy because mm-hmm. uh, I never was very technical as, as we had this discussion about trying to get uh, online to do this podcast. I'm the same <laughs> way with, with pedals and, and effects and all. I just can't be bothered with it, you know. Um, so, but the other thing, the other thing too is, is when I was doing a lot of session work, uh, you know, all the other guitar players are all processed out. And if you have two guys all processed out, it's just too much. So I yeah. very happily became the, the kind of straight-ahead tone guy. And then the other one was, was a processed sound. And they then they both had a place in the record, you know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you really got to pull it out of your hands. Uh and a, and a good way, if anybody's interested in, in uh, experimenting with that, is if you if you get a solid body guitar at home and don't plug it in, and sit down with a pick or with your fingers, and find the sweet spot on the instrument, and don't yeah. play it too hard, and see how much tone you can pull out of that uh, unamplified electric guitar, and how much sustain you can pull out of it. Unwittingly I've been doing that because the the kids are asleep. Right. And so I I, (laughs) I have to do it that way anyway, but instead of putting headphones on, I just sit with the guitar unplugged, uh, the solid body. And I think unwittingly I've been doing that experiment for, for some time now. It's exactly right. And it's amazing how much sustain and tone and even volume can come out of that. And, and then if you, if you bring that approach to an amplified guitar, plug it in, uh, man, all of a sudden there's tone there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. A tone that's hidden if you, if it's too processed, if there's too much on front, you lose what the fingers can do. That's right. That's right. Uh, and if you like on a, on a Stratocaster, <clears throat> this is going to get really boring on a Stratocaster, which is often <laughs> very, a very I'll difficult. I'll leave and come back. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, it, that sometimes it's hard to get a good tone out of a strat. It took me years to figure out how to play a Stratocaster. I didn't, I didn't like a Stratocaster for the longest time, and mm-hmm. I love it now. But there's a little gap between the end of the fingerboard and where that neck pickup is that you can just tuck a pick right in there, and it's the sweetest spot to play a Stratocaster. And it's also where your pick naturally lies if you if you kind of hold that whammy bar in your little finger there it's just hmm. it sits right there and boy it's a gorgeous tone you know well the uh the the lesson that i'd like to take away uh from this set of listening to uh to your new album is uh how to play less uh 
spending years learning licks and learning embellishments that's kind of becomes uh you know the uh, the, the forward thing uh in my playing anyway and listening to this album like i just want to play less notes and play the essential ones that uh, build build the melody and i don't know if you have a uh, a, a method or a technique to this if you if you sing it or if you go to another instrument or do you get away from the guitar to do it or do you have a method on the guitar for keeping it lyrical uh, despite you know having having chops well um, my playing has always been very limited uh, as everybody's playing you know we all have our uh, limitations and uh, I, I never was a very fast guitar player. Uh, and uh, so th- to some degree that, that informs my style, you know, our limitations is what makes our st- various styles of things. But mm. I, I, these days uh, I really try to think of the guitars as a voice, uh, as if, as if somebody was singing. Uh, so that's how I think of my melodies and, yeah. uh, you know, and you can find wonderful little passing things to throw in there, but as far as stating a melody, you know, how, how would a singer sing it? So Richard, we talk about our favorite tunes. Um, you know, the things that, that, uh, most drew us in. Do you have ones on here that are more special to you than others? Well, I mean, it's it's, it's going to sound terribly self-serving, and I'm the least self-serving guy on the planet. But um, I, I I like them all because they're all very different. They all do different things, and um, I think they all came off reasonably acceptable. And uh, but uh, I don't know, sweeter days I'm very fond of, and Galadon I am as well. Reasonable. What was the term you used? Reasonably acceptable. That could be another title. Reasonably for acceptable is is a far cry from what Marty Stewart was using. <laughs> uh, <for his> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, I, I can listen to them all without cringing. How, how's that? <laughs> also, this a like, soft endorsement for this album. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like low bar after low bar. Are you okay, Richard? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Richard Bennett. Richard Bennett. Hard sells. <laughs> uh, so in terms of, uh, you're, you're uh, you know, obviously not self-serving, but in terms of serving others, what's, what's going on with the, the Mark Knopfler band? Well, we spent February, the entire month of February in London recording. And, uh, that was so great. I have to tell you, I've, I've been playing on records since Jesus, I don't know, 1968, I think. Hmm. Uh, and it was the most fun I've ever had making a record. And, uh, you know, of course, the, the, the coronavirus was just raging uh, again right. back then. So the protocol was very tight. Um, we tested every other day. Hmm. There was no pubs, no restaurants. Uh, and that being as, as much a part of the recording process as actually playing music for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but everything was brought in. Uh, these fabulous lavish lunches and dinners and uh, you know oceans of gin and uh, kegs of London pride ale which uh, directly from the brewery which is about four blocks from uh, Mark's studio in Chiswick and we just enjoyed uh, 
being with each other again and being a band again. Because all of us at that point had been pretty much laying low for a couple of years. Um, And uh, so it was just so much fun. And we got 25 wonderful things in the can. And we're going back. We're going back in November for another week. Wow. So uh, that's what's going on at the moment. Um, and you mentioned that you're starting to think about another project. Yes, yourself. I've already begun recording uh, for, the, for the next album. Uh, Is there a theme that we can preview? Uh, it's, it's all the stuff that kind of piled up over the last couple of pandemic years. Mm, uh, okay. And, uh, but it's just kind of back to the usual all over the place uh kind of stuff well we'll look forward to that and having you back for a third visit yes oh man i'm very flattered i'm really flattered to be part of uh, the craft brood family and to do this uh podcast with you well thanks for making the time and we're thrilled to have you in the family and uh and look forward to uh glad to have this music and look forward to more music as it comes great yeah thanks guys Really inspiring set of songs, Richard. Thank you for sharing. Oh, thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Brian. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Craft Brood Music, both the podcast and the music discovery app, has the mission of promoting this music and these artists. We can't do that without ears on the music. So if you like what you've heard here, we're going to ask you two small favors. First, tell someone about the podcast. Second, go to the App Store or Google Play, download the Craft Brood Music app, and try a free two-week trial of the curated streaming service. For more information, visit us at craftbroodmusic.com. Thanks again, and see you next time.